Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 25 and what the Bible means when it talks about the days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived as we look at an overview of Abraham's life and his death. Now, Tom Cantor wants to encourage you to pray for our upcoming Summer Blitz where we go out and reach lost Jewish people throughout the United States and Canada. We're sending out 108 missionaries. We'd like to send out 110. We need your support for this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism. Call us to support us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, and send out the gospel to the lost Jewish people of this nation and world through Israel Restoration Ministries. Go to israelrestoration.org for more information. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God. I mean, just think of that picture. Let's think of that picture. That's a heartbreak for Abraham. But think also of the picture of Abraham giving gifts. He goes to each one, and he gives them gifts. Each one, he gives them gifts. And then Isaac, he gives all that he has. Now, freeze that picture in your mind, because what Abraham did there is what God does See, just as Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines and then gave all, then turned around and gave all that he had to Isaac, that's what God does. See, God gives gifts and blessings to all the children of this world. He does. I mean, he gives to the lost. He gives to the rebels. He gives to the haters of him. He gives to them gifts. He gives to them gifts of health. He gives them gifts of sunshine, of rain, of seasons, of the wonder of living on his beautiful earth. Those are all gifts. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is referring to in Matthew 5.45 when he says that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. See, in that verse, the Lord Jesus Christ talks about the Son, and he calls it the Father's Son. He said, the Son in the sky, that's the Father's Son. It's his Son. He said, his Son. And he said, he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And then in that verse, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about the rain, and he says, the Father sends the rain. Sends the rain. When God spoke about his word, when he speaks about his word in the Bible, he said, it's just like the rain. It's just like the rain. The word, the rain, are sent for a purpose. In Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, he said, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither. See, we see it. We see it coming down. We say, oh yeah, it's falling from the sky. Okay. But watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And then he says, So shall my word be that goeth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. He sends the rain. He sends his word. The Lord Jesus said the Father sent the rain on the just and the unjust. David said how God's goodness is to all men in Psalm 145 verse 9 where David said the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies over all his works. See, Paul spoke about how the Lord is good to all in Acts 14, 17, when Paul says, nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. See, God gives to all. He gives these gifts of rain and fruitful seasons and food. It makes people glad. It makes everybody glad. So just as Abraham gave these gifts to the sons of the concubines, God gives gifts to all on the earth. But then, just as Abraham kept back, reserved a special reservation of all that he had to Isaac, 
God gives to believers his special covenant gifts, which are the gifts of salvation and justification and the gift of adoption and the gift of an entrance into heaven and a gift of a mansion to live with him in heaven forever. So Abraham reserves all that he had for Isaac. God reserves all those special gifts. Now, as we see this recap of Abraham's life in verse 7, I said these are the days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 103 score and 15 years. In verse 7, the years of Abraham's life are described with a certain phrase. What's the phrase that describes his life, the years of his life? The days, the days, the days of the years. See, that's interesting, that the years of Abraham's life are described as days. Not weeks, not months, not seasons, not just years, but days of the years. It's very significant in the way that he describes these years of Abraham's life. The days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. See, that tells us that our lives are spent in terms of days. Days of the years of our life. That's why it's important for us to see our lives this way. See our lives in terms of days. See, it's important for us to pray for each day as the Lord taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.11. Give us this day our daily bread. See, God wants us to focus, our focus to be on our day, on today. We should pray that God will give us our food today and that we'll have all that we need today. See, we get all caught up in a trap of worry and anxiety when we start to project into the way-off, unknown future. And then you know the question that comes to us, the haunting question? What's going to happen to me? See, the Lord told us not to do that. He said in the same chapter of Matthew 6, he says, Take no thought, therefore, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He's saying, you've got enough already. I have an Israeli friend. He lost all of his investments several years ago. And from that trouble, it was, it was actually very good because then he came down and with me he prayed the sinner's prayer. He received the Lord Jesus Christ as his God and Savior. And I speak to him regularly, often several times a week. And every time I speak to him, I ask him the same question, and that is, how are you? <laughs> That's how we start. And he always gives me the same answer. He says, miserable. I have a miserable life. <laughs> And I always ask him, why is he miserable? And he always tells me the same thing. He has no money. And he's worried over the question, what is going to happen to me? That's what he says. Oh, what is going to happen to me? And he tells me, he keeps telling me, he doesn't have any money for food. He doesn't have any money for his apartment. And he's afraid that he's going to have to be sleeping on a park bench, he says. And so for years, this is the way our conversation goes. And he's telling me this of his fear and his anxiety over the long-term future. But in the years that I've known him, he's always had money for food, and he's always had money for his apartment, and he's never been sleeping on a park bench. (laughs) But he keeps worrying about the future. Why? Because he's not seeing his life as days. But he's looking into the future, and he's saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And he worries about that. If my friend, my my whole goal, if I get him to see days, if my friend would just see his life in terms of days, and ask God for money for today, for his food and his apartment, he'd be giving God thanks that today he had been provided for his food and for his apartment. See, my whole goal is to get my friend to stop focusing on this long-term future and to start focusing on the days of his life. I'm trying to get him to look at his life like verse 7. See, because being worried over the long-term future, it poisons thankfulness. 
I asked my friend one time if there was anything that he was thankful for, and he told me nothing. So I, I, I thought, if I can get him to think of days, I can get him to be thankful. So this is my goal, you know, get him to think of days, get him to be thankful, get him to think in terms of verse 7. So that's my whole goal. Get him to terms of verse 7, days, and then he'll be thankful. So to try to get him to do that way, I asked him a question. I asked him, you know, the same old question, how are you? He says, miserable. And then I said, okay, are you more miserable today than you were yesterday? And then he told me, he said, yes, he's more miserable today than he was yesterday. And I said, well, good. He said, why is that good? I said, because now you can be thankful that you were less miserable yesterday. (laughs) Our lives become much less miserable and much more simple when we see our lives in terms of days, as in verse 7. See, seeing our lives in terms of days, in verse 7, means that we'll take to heart this emphasis, day, daily, give us this day, our daily bread, And the Lord is emphasizing those words. And what he's really saying is that you've got to get yourself into the today mode. So that when you come in the morning, in your time of devotion with God, you say, Lord, I want to meet with you. And then always put in that word, today. And Lord, I want to give myself to you and put in that word, today. Lord, please help me to not sin against you today. Lord, please help me to encourage a believer today. Feed him with your word. Lord, please help me to encourage a lost person to come to you today. And then at the end of the day, it becomes very simple as we review and we ask ourselves the question, did I meet God today? Did I give myself to God today? Did I sin today? Did I confess that sin to God or make it right if need be to another today? Did I encourage a believer today? Give him God's word. Did I point a lost person today to God? And then we ask the ultimate question to God at the end of the day, which makes our life very simple. Lord, are you happy with me today? And if you're happy with me today, it's all that matters. Because if you're happy today, I'm happy today. It's all about today. It's all about days of the years of our life, in verse 7. And so this is important for us to see. So now we see Abraham, he is 175 years old when he dies. And we look back over the lives of Abraham, and we see that, you know, what was the high points? Well, 100 years before he died, when he was 75, he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. That was a great day. On one of Abraham's days of the years of his life, 75 years, 75 years, uh, when he was 75 years old, Isaac, he was called out of Ur. On another one of Abraham's days, in the days of the years of his life, 75 years before he died, Isaac was born. And on another one of Abraham's days, 50 years before he died, he brought Isaac up to the Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. In another one of Abraham's days, 37 years before he died, Sarah died. And another one of Abraham's days, 34 years before he died, Isaac was married. See, these are some of the notable days in the years of uh, Abraham, and the days of the years of the life of Abraham. See verse 7. But now all those days of Abraham's life are past. And when all those days are finished, then we come to verse 8, where it says, And Abraham gave up the ghost, died in a good old age, and was full of years, gathered to his people. See, the first word in verse 8 is very important. It's the word then. Because that word tells us that Abraham's life was lived out. Then tells us that Abraham had no more days. He had no more todays to live here on earth. And so he had reached his then. And we are all going to reach our then in life when all of our days are going to be lived out. As it says in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto men once to die. That's the then. But after this, the judgment. Job spoke of this being there's a predetermined number of our days. We don't know, but God knows. 
And so in Job 14, 5, it says, Job says, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. God says, there's this many days, you can't go beyond it. That's it. We don't know what number of days we'll have on earth, so we can't number forward, we can number backwards. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in just a moment here on Friendship with God. We want to encourage you, as we mentioned at the start of our program, to support Israel Restoration Ministries. Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. Being a saved Jewish person, he wants to reach other lost Jewish people just as the Lord Jesus Christ wants to reach his lost Jewish brethren. We're doing that with a campaign this summer of going and reaching in 14 different U.S. and Canadian cities lost Jewish people. We've got 108 missionaries going out. We need support for 110. Would you please send in your support? You can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org to support Jewish evangelism or call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051 and support the gospel going to lost Jewish people. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. But it's interesting that the older we get, the more we don't want to think about how old we are. (laughs) Because we all know the statistics, we all know the average lifespan for men and women. You know, just before my mother died, we got a copy of her birth certificate and showed it to her, and she was thrilled to find out that she was one year younger than she actually was. (laughs) She thought she was, I should say. Because we don't like to think about how close we're getting to that statistic to the average lifespan. But you know, Moses, in his psalm, Psalm 90, he taught us to focus on that average lifespan and ask God to help us to think about how many days we have left till we reach that average lifespan. And he said that in Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12, the psalm of Moses, when he said, the days of our years are threescore and ten, that's 70. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore, that's 80. Yet is their strength with labor and sorrow, for it's soon cut off. We fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear? So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. See, Moses, in this psalm, he told us the average lifespan at his time was 70, and for the strong it's 80, which is about the same as it is today, as it was 3,300 years ago. So much for modern medical advances to increase the lifespan. If we focus on how many days we have left on average, then we'll see the value of each day, and we'll focus on each day. Then we read in the end of his days that Abraham then, and then he gave up the ghost. Now that's an interesting statement, that Abraham gave up the ghost. I mean, we talk about this person expired. And when a person expired literally means to breathe out. Like inspire means to breathe in, expire means to breathe out. And that's what the Hebrew word gava means here as well. And if you were standing next to Abraham's bed there, that's exactly what you'd see. You'd see Abraham, he's breathing, he's having trouble breathing, he's having that trouble, an apnea breath, and then all of a sudden he breathes out his last breath. And that's what happens when anyone dies. They breathe out their last breath. And that's the first time, by the way, this phrase is used in the Bible, gave up the ghost. You see, the phrase gave up the ghost means more than he just physically stopped breathing. Because when it says that Abraham gave up the ghost, there are two questions that are raised. And the first question is, who did he give up the ghost to? And how did he give up this ghost? So who did Abraham give up the ghost to? He gave it back to God. 
Because Abraham, like us, he had his breath, his life from God. And so King Solomon explains death in this way. When King Solomon is describing what death is, he says in Ecclesiastes 12, 6, and 7, or ever, he says, the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. See, Solomon's describing death and the destruction to the body. He says, it's like a silver cord that just comes loose. He says, it's like a golden bowl that just that, that, that becomes broken. He says, it's like a pitcher, like we just saw about Rebecca with her pitcher of water by the well. It fell, it broke. He said, it's a wheel, like a grinding wheel. It's broken. He says, that that's what death is. And he said, that's what happens to the body. Then the dust goes back to dust. But he said, the spirit, that goes back to God. God who gave it. So Abraham gave up his life to God who gave it to him. And Abraham knew that his life and his breath came from God, so when it was time for him to die, Abraham could have said, it's time for me to die. Here, Father, is the breath and life that you gave me. You know, Abraham could say, Father, thank you for giving this to me for these 175 years. It's been a great experience to have had from you this breath and life on earth. Father, while I had from you this breath and life on earth, I experienced a second life, a second birth, an eternal life when you called me out of Ur of the Chaldees. Father, while I had from you this breath and life on earth, I experienced you through life as my shepherd and my constant friend. Now, Father, it's time for me to give you back the life and the breath on earth, and now it's time for me to come to you, my friend, to be with you forever. Father, I willingly give up my breath and life on earth to you. So what we see in that picture is an Abraham who did not hold on to his breath and life. He couldn't anyways. We don't see him with a clenched fist as if to say, you're going to have to force it away from me. I won't give it up. Just the opposite. We see an Abraham who willingly and happily gave up his breath and life into the hands of the Father of life. That's the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as he dies on the cross in Luke 23, 46, when he said, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I command, I give my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. How could Abraham willingly and happily give up his breath and life on earth and face what many see as a a terrifying unknown future after death? Because it was what Abraham has spent his life learning In his life, Abraham had learned what it means to have God as your friend. In his life, Abraham had learned to trust God, his friend, for the unknown. In his life, Abraham had learned to calm his anxieties, calm his fears, calm his restlessness by knowing that God, his friend, was with him and was going to take care of him. Therefore, Abraham willingly and happily gives up the ghost to God, which is the answer to the second question, how did Abraham give up this ghost to God, willingly and happily? So when we read in verse 8 that Abraham gave up the ghost, we understand that when Abraham did that, he not only gave up his ghost, but he also gave up the burdens in this life. See, there are two burdens, two categories of burdens that made Abraham happy to give up the ghost, and they are, and the same for us, the burdens of growing old. And at 175 years, Abraham was glad to give up the burdens of old age. You know, as Pastor Jim used to say when he got old, getting old is not for sissies. 
And then there are the burdens of the trials and the afflictions. And at 175 years old and six young children running around his house, he was glad to give all that up too. And Abraham, Abraham, see, when Abraham lived, he didn't live till the world was tired of him. Abraham lived till he was tired of the world. Abraham had had enough, and there was nothing in this world that he desired from it anymore. And for this reason, Abraham agreed with Paul, who said, we are confident, in 2 Corinthians 5.8, 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, I say, willing to be, to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. See, the absent present in that verse of 2 Corinthians 5.8 makes me think when I was uh, at Emerson Junior High School in Los Angeles. And so recently, last week, a couple weeks ago, a group of us from our company were in Los Angeles, and it's right by the Mormon Temple. We were driving there, and I said, oh, there's the junior high I went to. And they said, oh, you want to go see? And I said, well, okay. And so we drove over there, and they asked me, now tell me, what do you remember about the school? And I said, well, the only thing I remember is the principal's office. <laughs> anyway, I also remember how the teacher would take roll call at the start of every class. And when your name was called, if there was no answer, then the teacher would write down absent on the roll call. But when I heard my name, when I heard Tommy, then I had to say here, and the teacher would write down present on the roll call list. I just picture an angel. Picture an angel like the teacher. He goes to the cave of Machpelah, where Abraham's body was with the roll call list in his hand, and he calls out Abraham's name. Abraham, there's no answer. So what does the angel do? He writes down absent. He's absent from the cave of Machpelah. Now the same angel, he goes to heaven where the Lord is, and he calls out Abraham's name, Abraham, and Abraham calls out here, and then the angel writes down present on the roll call. See, when we look at the angel's roll call list, we would say absent from the body, present with the Lord. And now in verse 8, we read the two words to describe what happened to Abraham, and died. You know, you can't read those words or experience that without there being a shock. Death is always a shock. It's a shock for even a friend of God of Abraham, that, he's, that he dies. He's got to die. Abraham's got to die. He's a friend of God. Why does he have to die? He has to die. David describes death in Psalm 89, verses 47 48, when he says, Remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Selah. See, when David looked at death, he says, everybody's going to have to face that. What man is he that liveth that shall not see death? And he looked at the grave, and David looks at the grave, and he sees, I see this big giant hand coming out of the grave, reaching for you, got you. No one can fight against that hand. As he said, shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? But the Lord Jesus Christ, he did something for that. Because he won the victory over death when it says in Psalm 49, 15, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. That's the hand. For he shall receive me. And then Psalm 30, verse 3. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. See, how God redeemed David's soul and our souls and saved us from the power of the grave and this hand and hell came at a great cost when God stepped into the fighting ring for us. And he fought death. And he talks about that in Hosea 13, 14 when he said, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. And that's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.10, but now manifest, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought light and immortality to light through the gospel. And that word abolished in the Greek means to pass away. In other words, he put death to death. And so in Isaiah 25, 8-9, he says, he will swallow up death victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from their eyes, 
And then it says, and it shall be said, lo, this is our God. We've waited for him. He will save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. In that passage in Isaiah 25, 8 through 9, God uses the word swallow up in the Hebrew bala. It's the same word that's used to describe what happened to Korah and his whole house in Numbers 16.32 when it says the earth opened and swallowed them up. And the last part of that verse says we will rejoice in his salvation. That's the word Yeshua. So in other words, it says we will rejoice in his Jesus. In that passage in Isaiah, Paul picks up on that in 1 Corinthians 15.54-57. And he says, so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall pull on immortality, then shall be brought to pass... The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when he uses that word, as swallowed up in victory, that's a Greek word that means to drown or to absorb away. Like a cloth would absorb away liquid. It's gone. Another great Tuesday studying the Bible here on Friendship with God. And as we've mentioned previously, our Bible teacher Tom Cantor has finished his long-awaited Friendship with God Bible. It's a King James Study Bible and Reference Bible with over 2,200 pages, has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It's incredible. With full-color maps, History of Israel timeline map, and many other personalized pages, you can get your copy of the Friendship with God King James Study and Reference Bible for $89.99. Call today at 800-247-3051-800-247-3051 or order it online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening.